Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Well, welcome to Wild number two. I love this sermon series so far. I'm learning so much, uh, even about myself, you know? Some, some of us know exactly what we want in life, right? Like just very uh, uh, opinionated people, not in a bad way, just you immediately know what you want. My husband is one of these, right? Aaron, just immediately, in 0.4 seconds, he can hear something and make a decision about it. Just immediately knows what he wants. It always amazes me because, and he even rarely changes his mind after that. Not that he's stubborn. He just, he knows what he wants. Anybody else like that? Some of you, I think maybe more of us are a little more undecided about things, right? We, we just cannot make up our minds or we have a really hard time making up our minds about something. We don't know what we want or what would be best. You know, there's the age old, what do you want for dinner? Right? Can't even make up our minds about what we want to eat. I'm hungry, but nothing sounds good. Or you start saying, where should we go out to dinner tonight? Right? No, I don't care. This is usually the woman. Just sorry to say, ladies, but I don't care. But then husband suggests something. Right? Isn't this how it goes? <laughs> uh, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. Right? We know what we don't want. We just can't figure out what we want. <laughs> it can be exhausting. But some of us are like this with spiritual things, right? We, we second-guess ourselves. We, we don't know what we actually want, or we think we know. We say we know, but do we actually know? Questions like, should we go to church tomorrow? <laughs> right? Should I make the kids come early with me, or should I let them sleep in? Right? Should, should I serve on a team, give my precious time to a church? By the way... The Playground Project team has killed it this week. I saw some of them. The Lavels Burgers, Fred, and Tiff. Now I don't see any of you. There you are. You're right in front of my faces. Chris and Rich. So many others. You guys have just, they poured hours. Let me just tell you. Take a look at the playground. If you're not usually one that looks at the playground on the way in, look at it today on your way out. They poured hours into it. It looks really, really, really good. But yeah, should I serve on teams? Question. Should I should I read my Bible tonight or just, you know, watch Netflix? I'm tired, right? Should I tie the full 10% right now? Is that actually wise? Or would God understand if, if just for now it, it was like 5%, a little bit here and there, right? Should I move in with, with my boyfriend or girlfriend? It just makes so much financial sense. I'm sure God wouldn't understand. I get these questions a lot as a pastor. Like these things that, that shouldn't even really be questions. But we're, we're hobbling between two opinions. Or you already gave your life to Jesus. Your life to Jesus. And yet, as we, in the beginning, we're, we're on fire. We're passionate. It's all or nothing. But over time, sometimes we let things slip, Right? We've made him the boss of our life, literally the Lord of our life. Somewhere along the line, that seems to have changed. Now we're, we're making decisions that we maybe should have never 
even been a question. We can make excuses all day long, but when it gets really down to it, we're hobbling over decisions that shouldn't even be decisions. We're, We're making our minds wild in the process. I think this is why a lot of Christians are struggling right now. We're trying to bridge this gap between oh, the worldly wisdom and God's wisdom. We're trying to, to, to make them meld together. We're picking and choosing what we will be obedient to. It's no wonder we can't see real wisdom anymore. It's, it's no wonder the, the word of God doesn't feel right to us anymore. We're, we're trying to fit it into our lives rather than let it be the foundation we build our lives on. It's no wonder. All right, Elijah was living in a time where lots and lots of people were doing this. There was lots and lots of pressure to not serve God from the highest levels. In fact, Jezebel, queen of Israel, her name is sort of synonymous with evil these days, isn't it? She wasn't a great person. Uh, she was the daughter of a wicked priest king from a neighboring city. They, they worshipped all kinds of other gods. And so she came into the Israel environment and started pressuring them also to worship other gods. Pressuring the king, really. And he gave in. And she, along the way, she fiercely killed all of Jehovah, the God of Israel's prophets. And uh, sought to kill Elijah as well. Elijah ended up being one of the last prophets left in Israel. Hunted. Sought after so that she could finish him off too. And and fully and totally take over the nation of Israel. And Israel, instead of responding violently back towards her. Or just not giving in. They wavered. Right? They, they didn't jump ship completely, didn't abandon Jehovah God completely, but they also were very much into Baal worship. They added Baal into their worship. They ended up doing both. And maybe you remember this story where Elijah finally, he comes back and he boldly says, meet me up on the hill, guys, right? And the, the nation turns up on the hill and he challenges the prophets of Baal sort of a worship duel of sorts, right? They both build altars. Do you remember the story? They both build altars up on the hill. You can read it in First Kings if you don't remember. And he says, all right, guys, go ahead. You know, ask Baal to pour down fire from heaven and burn up your sacrifice to Baal. See if you can do it. If you can, we'll worship Baal. But if Jehovah can... We're going to worship God. And so all day long, Baal's prophets calling down fire from heaven, right? They're they're praying. They're doing their little rain dance. I don't know what they're doing, but all day long, they're asking Baal for fire from heaven. And and Elijah's kind of taunting them, right? He's a little sarcastic about it. He's like, where's he at, guys? Maybe he fell asleep, right? What's Baal doing up there? Maybe he went to relieve himself. Literally, this is his words, not mine, okay? Maybe he's, he's, he walked away. Who knows what he's doing? He's up there playing on his tablet. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know what you're asking. What's going on all day long? Finally, Elijah steps up and he's like, all right, that's enough. We're going to ask Jehovah now. Baal has failed you. And he douses the uh, altar in water. I mean, there's no way this happened except supernaturally. <laughs> And then for like two seconds, his prayer is so short. God, can you send down fire? 
it's fire from heaven. And all of Israel finally can see with their own eyes who is actually the God of Israel, right? But I want you to see what he says to them before the fire comes down. In the middle of this, he challenges them. First Kings 18.21. Then Elijah stood in front of them. This is before the, any fire comes down. He said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Silence. That's not passion. They couldn't make up their minds. They couldn't see the, 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 the even the, just the logic, the basic logic. And if God is actually God, follow him. You can't just add another one in there. There is one God, right? Why are you wavering? Indecision is a decision at a certain point. But we waver sometimes, but we cannot be silent forever. And, and you can't worship other gods and God at the same time. God is a jealous God, not because he's just an angry, jealous guy, but because there actually is no other God. <laughs> You're giving your worship to something that doesn't even exist on that level. It's not God at all. Christianity is an all or nothing faith. All or nothing. One foot out is, is all the feet out. <laughs> you can't have one foot in and one foot out in Christianity. What we have right now is, is this Christian nation. I say Christian nation because we think we are sometimes. <laughs> but we have divided loyalty. Can't figure out where to place it, right? We, we believe that we can have Christian kids just by bringing them to church occasionally and then, you know, letting the church do the discipling and go home and act however we want. Right? We're not modeling it for them. I've actually had this, this conversation with so many parents lately, just trying to teach this concept a little. Right? The question is usually, how do I get my kids really connected at church? Right? How do I get them to have friends and want to go to church? I feel like I have to drag them along. You know, they, they don't want to go to class because they don't have any friends, and now they don't want to come to church with me at all. Like, how do I get my kids in? Right? Well, First of all, class is not an option. Church in my household is not an option. It's not even a discussion. This is, it's who we are, right? It's just what our family does. We go to church. Yes, we lead the church, but we, we go to church to serve the church, not just to, to get, get, get from the church. We don't go to church to be served, but to serve. And we teach that to our kids. We, we teach our, our kids every Sunday morning. We don't just go to church. We serve the church. You know, my kids put down the bulletins for you guys every single Sunday morning. I make them do it, right? It's not like they volunteer necessarily. <laughs> Sometimes there's a little grumbling, but every time there's grumbling, I say, you know what? We serve the church, this is just a little way. It takes five minutes. You guys can serve the church, right? It serves you, doesn't it? Yes. Okay, let's go serve it. The church is beautiful. Not perfect, right? But powerful, productive, diverse, vibrant. It's the system that Jesus set up on planet Earth to reach the world. And it's our job to serve her. We serve 
the church. Church doesn't exist just to serve us. It does go both ways. We are served as we serve. Yes, that means we get here at 7 a.m. Yes, my kids put the bulletins down because it's something a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old can do, right? They serve the church. My kids also, I have them hold greeter signs out front, right? They, they have smiles plastered on their faces and they say hi to the people coming in and that's another way they can serve the church. We remind them it's who we are. We are Christians. We are Jesus followers. We love people. We serve people. We serve the church. Church is not just some place we go. It's not an option. It's who we are. Do you want to go to class? Parents ask, do you, do you want to go to class? I had this conversation happened in front of me a couple weeks ago. She said, do you want to go? That's not a question in my household. They don't get to choose. <laughs> they go to class because it's who we are. It's what we do. No, you're going to class. And I want you to make one new friend, right? I want to know their names at the end of class. I, I want uh, you to help them feel involved and have fun. I don't care if it's your first time. We've gone, we visited churches before and I've said this. Go find somebody that you can help feel involved, right? <laughs> Get to know somebody. Know their name. This isn't just you being served. This is you serving. It's an opportunity. Also, I want to know what you learned at the end of class. So, bye. Go have fun. It's your assignments, right? Stop hobbling between two opinions. This is not a choice. Indecision is a decision at a certain point. Saturday night, Sunday morning church attendance is a Saturday night decision. It's not something we choose Sunday morning when we really don't feel like getting out of bed. Right? Bring your kids along with you early on Sunday morning when you're serving. Don't let them sleep in. Sunday's not a morning to sleep in. Yes, it's a rest day, but it's also God's day. Sabbath, the concept of the Sabbath is the Lord's day and a day of rest. It's a day to stop working and focus on Him. You're working in the cafe? Put them to work somehow. If you're greeting, let the kids greet right alongside you, right? Or let them run around on the playground with my kids because that's also what they're doing. Showing up early, staying late is how you get them involved. That's the connection piece. They can only get so many friendships in class for one hour once in a while. But beforehand, afterward, that's when true kid friendships are really formed. Sunday morning church attendance is a Saturday night decision. It's actually a lifestyle decision. It's who we are. Not on Sunday morning when I'm tired and I don't feel like it and I've got a to-do list a mile long. Decide now that your family doesn't miss church because it's just who you are. Decide now that you will always tie the full 10% because it's what the Bible says to do. Whether or not it seems like the money will be there. That's what you're going to do. Because that's what God says. It doesn't say when you have it. It's a percentage because it's whatever you have. (laughs) Give it to God. Because anything less than a tithe, the Bible actually literally says, it's thieving. (laughs) Stealing from the Lord. Be in obedience. Passionate about it. Do you follow him or don't you? It's not in between. There's no in between. Well... You know, I don't because that's, it's disobedience. You don't trust God. And I apply the same standard to my own life. That's what actually got me over the line, fully invested for the past, I don't know, 15 years. 
We tithe because it's what we do. It's the first thing that comes out because that's obedience. I can't bring myself to say, I don't trust you, God. So I have to do it. (laughs) It's not even a question anymore. I trust you. I'm all in. So that means I give 10% to the church first. It's God's beautiful system of reaching the world. Why wouldn't I want to give to it? Of course I want to give to it. But if you don't tithe with the money that you earn, you don't trust God. What else are you hobbling between? Are you all in or not? And decide now that you will spend regular daily time in the Word. Whether or not you like reading. (laughs) Whether or not you understand it. You have a Bible degree or you fully get everything that you read. Decide now. Because God speaks through it. That is the way, the main way. He speaks in other ways, but it's all written down in black and white. If you truly believed, it's the Word of God, the living, breathing, active Word of God that has the power to change your life for the better. Open it. Read it. It will help you make daily decisions. It will unearth truths to you that you never expected. It will give you the wisdom and guidance that you need to get through life. You you may say you believe the Bible, but if you don't read it, do you? How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. We hobble between two opinions all the time. James 1 verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. We underestimate just how much our faith system determines our choices. It should be the foundation that everything else is built upon. When you can't decide between God and the world, you have no true north, have no moral system. So why not, you know, take a little extra for me when it doesn't hurt anyone? Why not view my uh, my sexuality as as my own and not submit it under the lordship of Christ? Why not be deceitful here, just a little, right, just here and there a little bit? If if it's helpful and it feels good for everyone, why, why not start making compromises when you're not all in unstable in everything you do if if you don't trust God in all his ways even when it's in secret even when no one's watching you don't trust him at all who are you when no one's watching anyone can be good when they have an audience who are you when no one's watching I was so challenged one time by an example a pastor gave at a conference or something, and he said his, uh, his lead pastor, I think he was a youth pastor, challenged him once by saying, if I showed the parents of the youth students that you serve your most embarrassing minute of your, this last month, would they still want you to pastor their kids? Right? The, the thing you're the most ashamed of if you had a, a hidden camera in the room with you and you were all alone for that minute, 
would the parents still want you to minister to their kids? God sees everything. Who are you when no one's watching? Do you truly believe that God is good? Do you truly believe that the word is good? When you believe God's way is truly the best way, it won't matter what the world thinks or what seems best to you. It only matters that he is watching, that he knows. Right? When your loyalty is divided, you are unstable in everything. The Bible calls this concept double-mindedness. A double-minded person, some other uh, versions of this verse says, a double-minded person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. And I used to think double-mindedness was only about how you pray. It affects how you pray. And I've heard people pray double-minded prayers constantly at the altars. I usually try to to hone it down a little bit for them. Like somebody will come up to the altar and they'll say, I I want God to heal me, but, but if not then make the surgery that's planned go okay. Okay, uh, what are we praying for though? (laughs) Right, let's pray for something specific so that if God answers it, we know he answered it, right? Are we praying for healing? Or are we praying for the surgery to go well? I believe you can be healed either way. God can be in either thing. But what are we asking him? What are we truly asking him for? And they're just, I don't know, I would would take either, right? Okay, but what's the highest possible good? The highest possible good. What's the best thing that you can stretch your faith to think of? Is it God healing you? Let's pray for that. Let's just boldly pray for that. If we get to surgery, then we'll pray for that. But let's right now be single-minded in our bold prayers and just ask God for healing. I've heard people come... To the altars and say, let my tests turn out okay. I had some medical testing. Let, let them turn out okay. And I say, you know, okay, awesome. When are they? Well, they were already taken. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, God could change it. He could, right? But, but the time to pray for a miracle was probably before the test was taken. Now the results are generated or you're getting there. Now you're just reacting in fear, right? So we could pray for that, absolutely, and God could do it, absolutely. But maybe more practically, let's pray that you would be able to handle whatever the results are, right? Uh, and that you'd move forward in peace and strength. And of course, that you would ultimately be healed. The next, next round of tests, let's pray that before that happens, you get healed. How about that? <laughs> right? single-minded in our prayers. Some, some people come and say, Look, God, I just need God to heal my marriage. Heal my marriage. But if not, then let the kids be okay. Let's, let's pray for healing for the marriage. Right? Isn't that the highest possible? Highest possible good. And that the kids would be okay no matter what. But single-minded in our prayers. Let me keep my job. But if not, let me get a better one. Which? Which is it? <laughs> What's the highest we can pray for a better job? Let's, let's pray, you know? You're asking for two different things. Do you have faith to believe for the best thing? And I think that's what double-minded prayers ultimately come down to. We don't quite have the faith to believe for the best thing. Let's pray for the best thing. God is a big God. He's capable of doing more than we can imagine or think of. Let's ask him for the best that we can think of and trust that he'll go further right? He is a good, 
big God and he wants to give us the desires of our heart. But we sometimes have to clarify what those desires are. Let's pray for the best thing to happen. Yeah, but what if it doesn't happen, right? (laughs) Okay, listen, that's possible. We've lived through some stuff. Our prayers haven't always been answered in exactly the way that we hoped. But they've always been answered. We look back now, we see that every one of them, I look at some old prayer journals sometimes, and I'm like, I forgot I even prayed about that. But God answered it so abundantly, I haven't even thought about it since. It's amazing what God can do. Of course, he's going to answer it, maybe not the way that I expected, but he answers them. Absolutely. Definitely some things I would have prayed away if I could have. But now, having gone through it, I just trust God with whatever comes, because some of those things I'm now grateful for. They change things in ways I never could have expected. I'm going to trust that God has a plan. If what I wanted to happen, if the highest possible good doesn't happen, that's fine. I trust God. He knows better than I do. Let's pray for the next highest possible good, right? What's the next thing that we can pray for? Let's be single-minded in our prayers. I mean, think about it. Parents, again, if your kid comes up to you and says, I'm hungry. Okay, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. Well, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you this? I, I don't know. Okay, well, I'm not going to go through the whole process of making you the food that you're, if you're not going to eat it. So, right? <laughs> How can I give you what you don't know you want? I want to give you good things. Our Heavenly Father wants to give us good things. Sometimes we just need to figure out what we want. Some of you right now, God sort of gave me this word during worship. Some of you right now are are wondering why God is being silent on an issue. Why he's not answering on a particular issue in your life. And God is saying to you today, it's because you don't know what you're asking for. Ask me for something. I want to give it to you. Just ask. What's the best thing that you can think of that I could give you? Ask for it. I used to think this was all double-mindedness was about. Just our prayers. We should ask with a single focused mind. But after studying it this week, I now think it goes much, much deeper than that. It's about the level of your faith. What can you set your faith to? Your decisions will rise to the level of your faith. Your prayer requests will rise to the level of your faith. Here's the thing. If you've been double-minded and you don't know how to get out of it, the Bible also gives us some clues about how to stop it. James 4, 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. There, there is a concept I've been researching lately in the Word, and that is a return to innocence. There's this verse in Hosea that really started this, this research project for me. It goes something like, um, how long will you choose to remain incapable of innocence? How long will you choose, this is the prophet Hosea talking to Israel, how long will you choose to remain incapable of innocence? And it got me asking the question, so I can return to innocence? I can go back to it? 
right? We, we have this thing about innocence in our culture. We, we protect it so fiercely sometimes. We have this thought that it's something that you lose and you can never go back to. And so we protect it, right? That's why we're fierce about Santa. Think about it. We protect the innocence of children. It's why we, we, we try to keep things from our kids, like the, the goldfish dying. We replace it quickly and we don't want them breaking that, that innocence. We don't want them growing up too fast. We want them to remain innocent. And I was having this conversation with a parent lately and I said, yeah, but they're going to learn things about life. This life is not, it's wild, right? It's not tame. It's not evil, but not tame. It's wild. They're, they're going to experience some things. Why not prepare them for it now and teach them how to return to innocence? There's a way to return. Wash your hands, you sinners. Right? Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. There is a magic that comes with innocence, isn't there? There is a magic about it. That innocent look in a child's eyes, the, the wonder, the purity of it. It's why we protect Christmas and things like that. We want that for them. A perspective even, a way of looking at the world that is altogether different from everyone else. We want to keep that, preserve that for them. And we're so afraid of our kids losing it that we lie to them. We manipulate them. But the Bible actually teaches you can wash your hands, that you can purify your hearts, that you can choose your loyalty. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, right? Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He wasn't saying the kingdom of heaven is run by 10-year-olds. Right? That would be... I was a kid's pastor for six years, okay? I know how bonkers that would be. But... He is saying the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who choose to stay innocent. Those who choose to stay pure and obedient like children. Those who choose to keep that perspective. Innocence asks for different things. Right? If you could hear my kids' prayers at night, the things that they ask for is just so pure and beautiful. Sometimes just the biggest craziest prayers, and sometimes about the itty-bitty little paper cut on their finger, you know? It's this innocence with God. My nine-year-old will sometimes see things happening, and she's like, I prayed for that. God does answer prayers. I prayed for that, right? She sees it in her, and she she attributes it immediately to to God, where sometimes I'm like, well, that just happened because, you know, all the other (laughs) things that happened in the day, or I did that, you know what I mean? But she sees God in everything. There is an innocence we can return to. How long will you choose to remain incapable of innocence? So how do we get back on track if we've been wayward, wishy-washy, hobbling between two opinions? You choose to stop. You wash your hands. You purify your hearts. You say, I'm sorry to God, and you repent, and you choose to be innocent again. That might be Confessing your sin to somebody you trust. Out loud saying it, right? That might mean changing the way that you live. But we can 
It's possible. There is forgiveness, wholeness in Jesus. When you get your soul anchored in him, when you get it whole again in his presence, and only he can do it. You're back to the innocence. Have you ever met a brand new Christian? (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, that was me yesterday, right? There's a passion, a fire, an innocence that comes with it. It's beautiful and amazing. And and sometimes people step all over them. Like, oh, that's just, you know, they're just brand new at this, right? They're they're naive. They'll they'll get the hang of this eventually. No. It's a fire and a passion we need to learn from. We need to remember. That's why leading people to Jesus is an addicting experience. Because you see that fire come alive in them. You're reminded that you need that fire still. Right? You may have the wisdom of age with Christianity, but you have the fire, the purity, the, the innocence of it all over again when you lead somebody new to Jesus. It's, it's beautiful, and we need it as much as they do. We need it as much as they do. We need to be replicating our faith in someone else, discipling someone else, hopefully many someone else's, but somewhere be replicating your faith. We need it as much as they do. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And I never looked at this verse this way before. But if Jesus is saying all your heart, he didn't say you must love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind. He said all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. Meaning, there must be a way to love him with only half. Or only a little. Right? Three quarters. (laughs) How much of my heart is actually loving God? Your mind. And we're talking about our minds throughout the series, right? Getting our thought life under control. It's been a wild world up there for a while. And I think this year, year and a half, has gotten us a little wild. We have to tame the thoughts. We learned about that last week, right? Taming our thoughts, taking them captive. But your mind needs to be engaged in faith. You may love God with all your heart and all your soul, but if your mind isn't also being engaged, you're missing something. You must love God with all of you, all your mind, not just part of it. We have to begin to think through these decisions that we're making passively the indecision, right? Let something slide a little here. Let let something else slide a little there. I'm too tired to read my Bible tonight, right? We've been so busy this week. Let's just, let's skip church today, right? Cheating my employer a little here. It's not hurting anyone. (laughs) These little decisions, passive sometimes decisions. Uh, Christians turn off their faith turn off their minds. They're not logically looking at it anymore. Right? Well, I love God, but I haven't read the Bible and like, the Bible's dusty on the shelf, but I love him. Is that logical? You've turned off your brain. <laughs> if you love something, you spend time with it. That's just, that makes sense, right? My husband and I have a great relationship. If we stop talking to each other, if I stop listening to him, is that love? Would our relationship stay good? Of course it wouldn't. You have to put work into this. I think sometimes Christians turn off their brains when it comes to faith. Like they they suddenly can't believe in science or history in order to have faith. 
No, look, your brain needs engaged too. And the answers are out there. We just went to the Ark Encounter this week. I know a lot of you saw my pictures. They were absolutely, it was absolutely amazing. It's this built to size Ark uh, out in Kentucky. Beautiful museum inside. Everything looks like it may have looked. I mean, they make a lot of educated guesses, right? But it's amazing. There's so much science in it. Creation science. You don't have to turn off your brains. The answers are out there. They're out there. Answersingenesis.org is the website that has so much information when somebody's asking scientific questions like, yeah, but how could this have happened? And how could Genesis have actually happened? Like, it just doesn't make sense. No, it does. Answersingenesis.org is a great place to go. I have all this in the sermon notes if you want to find the answers. Don't turn off your brain. Keep asking questions. If you were built to ask questions, ask questions. God wants you to. He's not scared of the questions. He's not scared of your doubt. He wants you engaged. God provides wisdom generously to all who ask. Proverbs 25, 26 in the Passion Translation. I think it might be a little different on the screen. It says, when a lover of God gives in and compromises with wickedness, it can be compared to contaminating a stream with sewage or polluting a fountain. If the godly give in to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. Polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. Here's what I now think is the secret to being single-minded. Right, the opposite of double-mindedness. The, the secret to being single-minded is just passion. Passion. Passion for anything brings a fierceness to it. Right? Passion for a football team makes all the other football teams look like garbage. Right? Passion for a particular hobby makes all the other hobbies look like trash. You don't, you don't want them. You just want the one that you're passionate about. You learn all about it. You dive into it. A single-minded devotion is passion. We need to approach the things of God with a single-minded passion, an unpolluted fountain, an unmuddied spring. We need an unpolluted passion, and we feed that passion by all kinds of things. But it's mostly the basics. Hearing a great sermon your fire again. Feed the passion by worshiping Jesus on the front row with your whole heart. Right? You feed the passion by, by reading the word until you hear something you needed to hear. You feed the passion by talking about Jesus with good friends or seeing your sacrifice that you serve somebody with actually pay off. Seeing your obedience actually pay off. It's not necessarily praying the right things or thinking the right things or, or doing all the right things all the right all the time, but moving in the right direction always. We can make mistakes. There's room for that in Jesus. Right? But passion has this fire to it, this direction to it. We have to be always burning with that fire. That, that fire burns away the chaff, the Bible says. It burns away the things you don't need and only leaves what is necessary. Don't allow your fountain 
your stream, your passion to be polluted. Stop being double-minded. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Be all in. Don't let fear or, or doubt crowd out your faith and overtake it. Look, Jesus never promised happiness. He promised peace. We all will have peace when we're obedient. Fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. He is our Lord, our master, our boss. He gets to tell me what to do. I don't tell me what to do. He tells me what to do. Our culture today wants to say that you are God, right? You do you. You do what makes you happy. The Bible teaches you do what makes you holy. Do what will bring peace. Do what will bring joy. Do what will bring hope. It's not always necessarily the easy thing, the thing that makes you happy in the moment. Sometimes it's the really, really hard thing, actually. But he promises peace. Peace passes all understanding. Spirit brings the things you need most in life. Maybe not the things that you want most, but what you need most. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Unpolluted passion is just obedience. Going to church even when you feel like it. Going to church even when you feel left out or tired or unseen. Right? Worshiping God with your whole heart. Even when you're grieving or mourning or angry. Right? Giving 10% even when it's scary. So scary. When it doesn't seem like ends are going to meet. Right? Reading the word even when you don't understand it at all prayers, even when you just barely have the faith to scrape together to pray it. Be obedient. Unpolluted passion. Repenting when you mess it up, because you will. There's forgiveness for that. Forgiving when people need it, because they will. Because he forgave you. This is how we tame wild thoughts. Bring them under the Lordship of Christ. Make them be obedient. This is how we tame the out of control behaviors we don't want to see in our lives. This is how we bring the calm joy to our souls. Father, today we ask you for obedience. We ask you for a fresh, bold wave of obedience in your church. That we would truly bring all of our decisions to you. That you would be able to say, you would have a say in the things that we're doing in our life. That you would bring to our attention the things that we need to change. That you would convict us where we need convicted. We invite you to do that. As only you can with the, the grace that you do it with. Father, we ask you that throughout this series, we would truly learn how to tame our thoughts, how to be single-minded, not double-minded, not all over the place, making decisions every which way, unstable in everything that we do, but 
single-minded, passionate, and focused. Make us that vibrant, passionate, selfless church you've called us to be. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe today you want to pray for that passion. You've lost it somewhere along the way. You don't feel that fire that you used to feel. Maybe you're a couple years into following Jesus and the attacks are coming and you just feel a little lost and afraid, a little listless. You miss that passion. You miss the feeling coming into a worship service and feeling the Holy Spirit on everything. Maybe the Holy Spirit's calling you to, to a new way of hearing from Him. Maybe he's calling you to discipline some of your behavior so you can hear from him. Maybe he's calling you to be single-minded in your devotion to Jesus. It's time to let some things go. Some selfish behaviors. Some things that might be hurting others without you even knowing it. Maybe it's time to pray for God to bring the passion back. To help you be obedient. Bring back the passion. Maybe today you're saying, I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I've never been all in. Maybe I was around church a little bit or I've I've heard of it before. Heard of, of what Jesus can do in someone's life, but I've never actually been all in. Today I want to say, for the first time maybe, or the first time in a really long time, I'm in. Follow Jesus with everything I have. I'm in for for the lifestyle. I'm in for Him being the Lord of my life. I want to. I want it to to be everything. I want the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of my heavenly Father. I want my sins to be washed away, to be a new creation in Christ. I'm in to following Jesus. Father, we just thank you. We praise you for what you're doing in our hearts and our minds. That not only would you get a hold of our hearts today, but you'd help us sort out the thoughts, the anxiety, the fears, the the doubts that are going on in our minds. That you would bring that peace that passes all understanding. You would give us an unpolluted passion for who you are and what you can do in our lives. Help us tame the wild thoughts. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 